Pastor Brian is preaching through Philippians, and uh, he asked me to, to uh, have a series of my own that we would do, so I guess what I did. Like any reasonable person, I picked Habakkuk. And you may be wondering, like, why, why Habakkuk? Um, well, I mean, Philippians is in the New Testament, so Habakkuk's in the Old Testament. And you don't typically hear sermons from the minor prophets, so I decided to be a fool and try to do it, you know, preach the sermon on the minor, minor prophets. Also, Habakkuk is hands down the book in the Bible with the funniest sounding name, so why not do it, right? Even Jews in Habakkuk's day thought his name was weird. So if you're like, this is odd, yeah, it is odd, okay? But here's the real reason. The book of Habakkuk is a beautiful story about one man's journey through his confusion at the chaotic world around him and into quiet trust of the Lord's control. Think we need that? Yeah, don't we? So, hey, if you feel confused by God and by the things he does, by God and how he acts, okay, um, you're not alone. You're not alone. And in fact, God gives us books like the book of Habakkuk to speak to that confusion. All right. So uh, you may not know where in the world Habakkuk is, so let's do this together. We're all going to stand up. You're going to open your Bible kind of to the middle and then keep flipping. It's one of these tiny books here toward the end. It's getting close to the New Testament. So you go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. There we go. And you'll get there. Just keep going. You'll find it. Also, the other fun thing that I tell the kids in youth group, there's a place you can cheat. You can find all the books in the table of contents. So just turn there if you need to. All right. Hey, Habakkuk. We're going to read first four verses of this Minor Prophets book. So starting chapter one, verse one. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Hey, true word, the living God gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I know in this room probably at least half of us are confused. There's so much that happens in our lives and we don't understand it. Um, Lord, why, why is little William in the hospital right now? Why do our bodies break down on us? Why do we see the, the evil around us, Lord? These things tear at our hearts. And I thank you, Father, that you're familiar with this and that your truth doesn't ignore our pain. In fact, you give us words for it. And so, Father, I pray now as we, as we study this book, as we study these first lines of Habakkuk, would you use your word to press into our hearts to to assure us that you're there and that you care. I pray all this in Jesus' name, who is the ultimate sign of your care. Amen. Would you be seated? 
don't you care? Have you ever asked that question? Especially, have you ever asked that question of God, right? I think the odds are, most likely. Hey, if you're a Christian, in this, or if you're not a Christian here in this room, don't think Christians have no wrestlings. If you're, if you're right now in that moment where you're wondering, does God care? Guess what? I've wondered that. I can guarantee you just about every person in this room has wondered that as a Christian. Don't you care? How do you tend to respond when you think God doesn't care? Not great, right? Um, so here, here's the thing. One of the blessings of being part of a family of faith, of being part of uh, a church, but also like a, a, a long extended history of God's people walking with the Lord is that you don't have to do those wrestlings on your own. There are plenty of people who've wrestled through this stuff before you. We're here to wrestle with you in all of that. And so we invite you, come and make your wrestlings known. We're here for that, okay? So we're gonna look at the wrestlings of this godly man, a man named Habakkuk who lived in a really dark time, okay? And we're gonna look at uh, three complaints that he offers in, this, in these verses. And we're actually gonna do this backwards because, I mean, we're preaching from Habakkuk. Well, why don't we just throw all the rules out the window? We're gonna go starting in verse four and then three and then two, all right? Small group discussions are going to be fun this week. All right, so here, here are the complaints. God, don't you care, verse four, that we're losing? Don't you care that evil is looming? And God, don't you care that you're not listening? We're losing, evil's looming, and, and you don't seem to be listening, God. All right, so let's look at the, the first thing. Don't you care that we're losing? So look at verse four. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. Hey, have you ever been in that experience where you felt surrounded? That's a bad feeling. Where it feels like you're being hemmed in on all sides. So typically if you're surrounded, it's because you're outnumbered, right? And people are out to get you. Uh, Hey, do you know this feeling? As a Christian, do you know this feeling? I feel like we're losing. I feel like we're losing. Hey, if you're not a Christian in this room, can, can I just let you in on a little something? Um, we Christians are scared. Especially in our country right now, I think a lot of Christians are scared. You know why we're scared? Um, we're scared that we're losing influence. We're scared that culture seems to be moving on and so forth, it, it makes us angry. It can make us angry. So, so Christian, let me talk to you. Um, how do you feel? How do you tend to respond when you feel like you're not winning? When you feel like you're surrounded, like you're losing, right? In all honesty, like let's, let, let's be honest, right? We can get angry. And we can get defensive. Hey, do you find easy non-Christian targets for your frustration? It can be the other political party. It can be some, some public persona. It can be some movement like that. It, Lord, if you just removed this, we'd be okay. Does that ever make you angry? Have you ever felt that way? Like, let's be honest, right? 
let's open our hearts before the Lord and just be true. Hey, can I challenge you? Um, angry people don't draw other people. So, so if your gut response to, to feeling surrounded and to feeling um, marginalized and like we're losing the culture war, all that sort of stuff, is anger, I just wanna encourage you, like Christians, we're supposed to look different. Because if we're, if we're angry, then what's to separate us from all the other angry people out there who are angry because things aren't going their way, right? So let me just challenge us on that. And, and, and take a note from Habakkuk, right? If you do feel surrounded, if you feel like the law is paralyzed, justice doesn't go forth, all that sort of stuff, what's Habakkuk doing? He's crying out to the Lord. So if we spent more time praying than on blogs and writing angry Facebook posts and trying to challenge people uh, on medium that isn't actually meant for conversation, maybe things would look different, right? Cry out to God. Hey, I know it seems simplistic. It actually works though. But, but here's the deal. So Habakkuk, he's not actually feeling surrounded and marginalized by the world out there. He's actually feeling surrounded and marginalized within God's people, right? Because he says, the wicked surround the righteous. Now, overwhelmingly in the Old Testament, when, when, when the Bible talks about the wicked, it's not talking about those people out there who don't know God. The wicked are very often those people who are among God's people. Those folks who claim a place among God's people and may look like good church people on the outside, but whose actual lives are actually all about themselves and taking advantage of God's ways and, 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 and God's people, right? That's what wickedness is. And so Habakkuk's complaint is actually about what's going on among God's people. So Habakkuk, um, just a little bit, we don't know a ton about this man, um, except that he was a prophet, so the Lord was speaking through him, and he's probably praying these words during the reign of King Josiah. If you're interested about what the cultural context looked like back then, read 2 Kings 21 and 22. Um, so he was very much like, he was very likely a Levite, which meant he was one of the guys who worked in the temple, was very familiar with the, with the, uh, the whole sacrificial system and God's laws and the way things were supposed to be. And so he would see how even the religious elites, the people who were supposed to be upholding God's ways, were misusing these. I mean, that's his complaint, right? In verse four, the law is paralyzed. Lord, you gave us this. You gave us this law. It's not working. Justice never goes forth because of the wicked. It actually goes forth perverted. Hey, uh, I think this calls for a paradigm shift, right? Because the folks most in danger of being wicked aren't those people out there. The folks most in danger of falling under everything that God says and thinks and acts about toward the wicked aren't those out in the world, it's us, right? Us in this church, us in God's church. So it calls for a lot of self-examination. So here's, here's my encouragement to us, okay? Before we find those outside targets, before like feeling all surrounded and raging against the people out there, my encouragement is examine yourself, examine our hearts. Where is it that 
that we've gone off the rails. Because I guarantee you, well, it's not a 100% guarantee, but very often um, when the world seems to be going off the rails, it's very often because the church has missed something. We're not living the way we're supposed to be. We're not being the lights we're called to be. We're not doing the outreach that we should be doing. And therefore, everyone around us suffers, right? Just putting that on your radar. Um, all right, so let's, let's think about the good news. If that's the complaint, Lord, we feel surrounded, surrounded by the world, surrounded by uh, the wicked among God's people. What's the good news? All right, because we need some good news, right? Um, hey, for the good news, uh, we're actually gonna have to look beyond this passage into like the whole context of the Bible and, and human history because at this point, we have 2,500 2, years of history of God's dealings with his people that Habakkuk didn't have when he was writing these opening lines, okay? So we, get to, we have the privilege of getting to look at that. All right, so the first piece of good news is God remains committed to reaching this world, Right? So as far as, as looking around you and seeing like, what, things look really dark out there, they might, but you know what? God is committed. He is going to reach the world. And y'all, God, God's great plan isn't to have a good looking church. It's to have a redeemed world. It's why he sent Jesus. That's why we are here. It's not so we can look good and worship well, but so that we can re- be the avenues through which gospel is preached and people are drawn into Jesus's work, right? Um, We are supposed to be an alternate community, a a window into heaven where people from the world can look out and see, oh, so that's what it looks like when God lives among his people, right? So here's the question. (laughs) All right, so God may be committed to reaching the world, but we just talked about how God's people are very often shattered and broken, right? How, how, how can we be the alternate community that we're called to be? Isn't that the natural question? Here's the other piece of good news. When it comes to God's people, God chooses to act through broken sinners. He chooses to act through broken sinners, people like you and me. Okay, there, there's, a, there's a difference between the wicked and sinners. The wicked, they don't need God. In fact, they're trying to use God. They're the folks in the church who are using God to get status, to get power, to, uh, to manipulate other people, all that sort of stuff. They are the wicked. But sinners, the church is full of them. Every single one of us. We're, we're sinners. And God loves sinners. He moves towards sinners. He, he makes sinners aware of our need for him. And he rescues us and he chooses to use us for his honor. See, our sin isn't gonna mess up God's plan to keep reaching the world. That's the good news. Maybe you feel shattered. Maybe you feel broken. Good. Because you're more likely not to be the wicked in that case. Right? You're, you're, you're acknowledging, I need the Lord. Hey, if, if you're not a Christian and you think the church is a mess, we're the first ones to own it. At least we should be. We are a mess. And we invite you to come join in our mess and, and look at the one who we believe is working through this mess to make things right. And you know what? What, what actually ends up being true and even more beautiful is that 
because we're such screwballs, God gets that much glory. The fact that he can create a community that looks like what, it, what heaven on earth will look like one day and he uses us to do it, that's beautiful. That's just proof that there's something at work here more than just like social chemistry or something. God is at work to advance his kingdom and we get to be a part of that messed up as we are. All right, so that's God's commitment. He is committed to his world. He will reach them. He is committed to his people. And so when we feel surrounded, when we feel angry, when we feel like, God, we're losing, you know what the answer is? No, you're not. Because God's not losing. And the thousands of years of history of God walking faithfully alongside of his people, God has never once lost. So, take heart. You're on the winning side. Jesus wins. All right, what about that second complaint now? Okay, so God, we're losing. The law is paralyzed. Evil is looming now in verse three. Why do, you, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So what Habakkuk is saying is, hey, Father, like God, I, I look ahead, I just see destruction, right? That's what he means. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. I look at the future and it looks black. It looks dark and, 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 and uh, scary. And given how things are right now, bad times are coming. That's what I see, right? How do you respond? You know that feeling? You ever look around you and think, things are bleak. I don't know where we're going. I feel like we hear that all the time now, right? Maybe it's because the stock market is kind of all over the place. Um, I don't know where we're going. And then Habakkuk, like inevitably, the question that ends up, or the accusation that arises, if you're like, things look bleak ahead, the question that then arises is, God, why are you putting up with this? Why are you putting up with evil? So, I mean, Habakkuk says it's like, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? He's like, he's looking at the stuff around him being like, God, do we see the same stuff? Are we looking at the same mess right now? You ever feel like, <laughs> God sees the train wreck coming and he just squeezes his eyes closed. Or even worse, in Habakkuk's case, what he was saying here, he just looks on languidly, idly. All right, well, let's see how they get out of this one. All right? All right, so what's the good news? All right, the good news to the complaint that we're hurtling toward destruction is, there are two possible answers. One is, no, we're not, right? That's, that's the answer we all want and yet struggle to believe. No, no maybe we're not hurtling toward destruction. <laughs> hey, uh, this is less biblical and more just like from history. Human beings, like we all have an incredible historical arrogance. We tend to think our times are the best of times and the worst of times, right? Um, and because we are finite creatures locked in a, in a world that feels so full of chaos and so forth, we typically, even when things are good, we're always looking for the bad, right? Again, stock, stock market uh, terms. Even in bull markets, you got the bears. They're saying things are gonna crash, right? Everyone, we're always prepping ourselves, waiting, try, trying to 
form our contingencies to, uh, to address when things go bad. You know why? We're scared. We're powerless and we're scared that we can't do anything to stop the destruction that's coming. Okay? So that, that's the one answer. No, we're not hurtling toward destruction, potentially. <laughs> the other answer is maybe it's yes. Maybe we are hurtling toward destruction. I'm looking at your faces and you're like, how is that good news? <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, it's not. It's not. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not good news. Okay. But you want to know what the good news is? The good news is, and the Bible is unapologetic about this, as uncomfortable as it makes us, even destruction is in God's hands. Even destruction is in God's hands, which means destruction is never the end that we think it's going to be. See, that's part of why we're afraid of it, right? We're afraid of the world collapsing all around us because then we're like, well, that's the end. That was great. But God holds even destruction in his hands. And you know what? We know this from both history and personal experience, right? Sometimes you have got to hit rock bottom for things to turn around. Isn't that true? Haven't you felt that in your own life? You ever been in that situation where like everything just seemed chaotic and was falling apart and then you hit rock bottom and God used that. See, in his kindness, God leads us to rock bottom so that in his kindness, he can lead us out. The Lord, this is part of his character, right? He is, he is the God who brings death through life. And some, whoops, turn that around. <laughs> Great news, right? No, but listen, sometimes the only way to life is through death. Sometimes God has to kill the stuff that we're leaning on because we're, we're propping ourselves up with all these idols and all these things that we hold very dear. And sometimes in order to make us whole, God has to kick the legs under the chair. Does it very kindly, not because he hates you and is after you, but because he wants you to hit rock bottom and find that the only thing that remains there is the Lord, the only one who will not change, the only one who is there for you consistently is him. He's all you need. So he brings you to rock bottom so that he can lead you out. He brings you to the point of death so that he can bring you life. That is God's pattern. Renewal from destruction. And we see this most clearly on the cross, don't we? Death. The death of God himself, resulting in true eternal life for the world. All right, so what about the complaint that maybe God's just squeezing his eyes closed? He's just letting evil happen, right? What's the good news here? Well, the good news is no. God never closes his eyes toward evil, right? So here's the question. Well, if, if God's seeing all this stuff, Habakkuk's like, Lord, if you're, if you're seeing the same stuff I'm seeing, the next question obviously is, why aren't you doing anything about it, right? And we heard a part of the answer from what Evie read us in 2 Peter, right? God allows us time to repent, He wants us. See, most of us believe that God is just sitting there ready. He's waiting. 
waiting to zap us the moment we mess up, right? God, far from it. God's so patient. He's so patient with us. Far more than we are with other people. All right, so, hey kids, um, you know how, <laughs> you may not believe this, uh, but your dad, your mom, um, we do not want to punish you. You do something wrong, you know what? It, it hurts your parents maybe just as much as it hurts you, maybe a little bit more for them to have to punish you. I guarantee you, there, there's not, none of us in this room who are parents, we're not looking at you and being like, I can't wait for you to mess up. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna leave the cookie jar right out there on the table. I'm gonna leave the lid off because I want you to be tempted to steal so that I can get you, right? No, we're not doing that. We love y'all. Parents, God is not leaving the cookie jar out on the table because he wants to get you. If you're an adult, in this room, so often our experience of God is, <laughs> you're out to get me. And, and here's the thing, like, um, we tend to think, and, and kids, you guys get this too, right? <laughs> we tend to think God is too slow to correct other people and way too fast to correct us. Mom and dad, did you just see what my sister did? Tattletales instantly, right? Do you see? And then this moment mom and dad come down on you, you're like, well, they did it 10 times and now you're getting on me and I did it just once, right? We're so, we'd, we're quick to thank God, you need to be judging them, but oh, don't do it to me, right? God, God's patient. God is patient. He's not putting up with evil. He's giving you time to admit, time to repent, time to turn away. But ultimately, evil always gets its due, all right? So if God's given you time to repent, given us time to repent and turn from our sins, in the end, evil is gonna get what's coming to it. Because the thing is, it's not a question of if wrongdoing is gonna be paid for, but who will pay for it, right? Hey, we brought ruin. We brought ruin into this world when we rebelled against God. We continue to bring ruin into the lives of each other through our sin. We continue to bring ruin in the ways that we, uh, yeah, abuse each other, abuse God's world. Uh, and we continue to bring ruin in our own relationship with God when we turn our backs on him and run from him. Somebody's gotta pay for that. That's why God sent Jesus. God's, God stood up and he said, you know what? I will pay for that. That's why Jesus came to take that ruin, to take the consequences of our rebellion, of our betrayal, all that into himself so he could pay for it. And he's given us time to turn to him and confess all these things. But if we're not gonna turn to Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to take all of this all this ruin inside of me and out there. And I'm trusting you with my sin and my brokenness. I'm trusting you to be enough. If we're not gonna do that, then we're gonna to have to pay for it. In the end, someone's gotta pay. And God wants to do it for you. But evil always gets its due. Okay? All right, so to the complaint that God, don't you care? Evil's looming. The answer is God cares deeply. Sometimes, though, he chooses to allow destruction if it's the only way to bring about renewal. 
and he gives us time to repent and to turn to him, but ultimately evil will not go unpunished. All right, so to the last question here. The last complaint in verse two. Aren't you listening? Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Cry violence and you will not save. See, when we feel like we're losing and evil's looming and we're crying out to God and things don't seem to change, then what we typically think of is, well, there's two conclusions here. You're not listening, right? You don't hear. And typically, part of the reason we think he doesn't hear uh, is there's two answers that we could have. You're not listening to me, so obviously there's something broken in this relationship between me and you. That's one conclusion we can draw, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Or the other thing is like, you're not listening to me. You must not be there. I'm just talking to the ceiling. Hey, uh, that's, a, that's a popular option in our day to believe that like, God doesn't exist. Um, if that's you, then I would love to talk to you because um, <laughs> there's abundant evidence that he does. And I would just also offer that through the bulk of human history, we have had a God conscious, right? So this whole like, idea that God doesn't even exist is a really new idea as of like the last 300 years. Um, there were people who held that and believed it before, but it was not nearly as widespread of a thought until our day and age. Um, so if that's where you're at, uh, that's a longer conversation. And we'd love to have a, like, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, the existence of God. But typically, if we feel like he's not listening, we can say, it, it must be because you don't hear, you're not there. Or, or what most of us are inclined to go to, you don't hear. You don't hear because you don't care, right? And at heart, when we deny God's existence, it's really very often because of the pain of feeling like he doesn't care, that we've cried out and cried out, and he's not listening. So if he's not going to listen to me, then I'm not going to listen to him. That's how it's going to work, right? Hey, can I just tell you, you're not alone in wondering if if God doesn't care. In fact, if you're not a Christian, I, I wanna encourage you that every, I, I can almost guarantee you, every single person who is a Christian in this room has had a moment where they've asked, God, do you care? Do you care? So Habakkuk himself was saying, Lord, do you care in these first two verses? So here's the good news. One, God always hears. One, he's there and he always hears. The only reason given in the Bible in all these pages that God would ever not hear isn't because he doesn't care, it's because of sin. The only reason God wouldn't hear someone is because we've turned our backs on him and are walking the other way. We're not actually saying, hey, would you actually listen to me? And God made a way for that. He sent Jesus to tap us on the shoulder, turn us around and send us back to him so that now we can hear. He will hear what we have to say. So God does not, God wants open communication with his kids. So God always hears. Here's another reason um, that we may tend to think that God doesn't hear us. Because we're waiting to hear the answer that we want to hear from God, 
right? I think one of the classic examples, uh, at least when I was in college, was the, uh, you know, the plaintiff single, like me, when I was in college, crying out, Lord, show me who you want me to marry. I'm surrounded by all these lovely Christian women here at Covenant College, and I'll, you're going to pick one of them for me, Lord, so give them to me. Let me know who, who's the one, right? Why aren't you listening? I've been praying for a while now. You know what? You know what God's answer was? Hey, I'm going to teach you how to be content as a single. I'm going to teach you to live in, into the richness that singleness can provide. I've got a lot of lessons I'm going to walk you through by yourself before I bring someone else along. Because you're in no fit condition to be married right now. But I wasn't. I'm not saying that about singles across the board. I wasn't. I needed some lessons. Or maybe this one, right? You cry. So again, the illustration. We, we cry out and God is answering. It's just not the answer we want, so we don't think he's listening. Uh, what about this one? Uh, if, you're if, uh, if you're parents. God, won't you just fix my kid? They're, so, they're all these things. I just want you to fix them. Or, or maybe if you're married. God, won't you fix my spouse? Things would be so much easier if you just did your thing over here. Like, do you see them? You see them as they are? <laughs> and maybe, oh, maybe, maybe God's saying, look, I'm gonna teach you to love the way I love. I'm gonna teach you to love in the mess. I'm gonna teach you to be there for people who are broken the way I am. I'm going to teach you that because I want you to know my heart toward you. Maybe we cry out and we say, Lord, will you fix this illness? And maybe God's saying, I'm going to walk you through it. I want you to know what faithfulness looks like when you feel weak. I'm going to be beside you in that. So maybe we're, maybe the problem isn't that God's not listening, maybe we're not listening to what he's actually saying. So God always, always hears. And the final thing, he always cares. And hey, I know it's hard to believe, especially when you feel like you're losing and evil's looming. It's hard to believe God's listening. It's hard to believe that he cares. But God cares far more about all of this than you do. Like, just think about it, right? God's got far more invested in this than you with your 70, 80 year lifespan do. And he cares about what's going on in your 70, 80 year lifespan. He cares a lot about it. And the absolute proof that God does care is the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus was surrounded. Surrounded by enemies, surrounded by evil, and seemed like things were losing. Right? And evil didn't only seem to be looming, it actually seemed to be triumphing. And God himself seemed not to be listening to the cries of his son, and yet here at the cross, God decisively proved he was very much listening as he crushed evil and death and he lifted his people out of loss and into life. The 
cross is, is proof of how far into the destruction and the mess that we have made, God is willing to go in order to bring out renewal. So if in your confusion you feel like God doesn't care, let me just encourage you, like Habakkuk, cry out to God and let Jesus lead you to the cross. The proof that he cares, <laughs> he cares about all of this even more than he cared about his own life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we, we're so quick to misunderstand you. The moment we rebelled in the garden, something happened in our hearts and it made us suspicious of you. It made us quick to imagine you're, you're going to abandon us made us quick to doubt your heart and your character. Lord, you are so, so good and so tender toward us. And so I pray that as we spend time just letting your word marinate in our hearts, that you would shape us, that you'd help us to trust you, to lean into so that, so that our gut reaction when things don't go our way isn't to imagine you don't care, but to ask, how are you there, Lord? So I pray. Pray for each of my brothers and sisters here. I pray for those who still haven't come to know you yet. Would you, would you break our hearts open and show us, show us who you truly are? In your name we pray, amen.